After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I am John Manuel. We thank you so much for the download here on iTunes or at BaseballAmerica.com or however you get your Baseball America podcast. And we're brought to you, of course, by MLB Network, and we're so happy to be sponsored by MLB Network here on every Baseball America podcast. And, J.J., we haven't done one of these in a couple weeks, vacations, all those kind of things uh, intervening, uh, so we apologize for that. We're going to come to you with two podcasts this week, J.J. and I with one today. At the end of the week on Friday, Jim Callis and I will preview the signing deadline period for the draft, signing deadline being Monday, August 16th. So Jim and I will, uh, will go over all that. That's put the clock up. The clock will go up today. That's right. The clock, the signing clock goes up. And, uh, you know, it's been an interesting four years of having that signing deadline. And I think baseball's draft just keeps evolving the more attention baseball pays to its draft. You know, and uh, a little bit disappointing this year with how slow the pace of signings has gone, J.J., but... It is what it is. The the, the best way to put it is is like when you see updates as far as players right now, it's like, so what's the update on the first rounder? Well, we haven't really talked much. You know, we'll be getting ready to get do start doing that now. It's like that does sum up that if you moved it up to July fifteenth, it really wouldn't affect a thing. I think you just would have all this happen in mid July. But you know what? That'd be that'd be fine with me. Oh, that'd be a lot. Hey, that'd be a lot better if mid July means that every one of these guys, you know comes in and actually gets in 150 at-bats, Yeah, you know, but it's been 25, law, 30 innings. It's definitely been a law of unintended consequences as with everything else in the history of the draft. Every time MLB try, everything MLB has tried to do, first was to level the playing field and actually spread out the talent, and that was fine. Second of all was to try to keep bonuses down, you know. And it worked for a long time. And they've been doing that for the last 12, that worked on bonuses for 25 years, it worked great. Now the last 20 years they've been trying in vain to keep bonuses down, and they generally have done it. But when you have a guy like Dylan Covey got drafted by the Brewers, I think, what, 17th overall, 18th overall, and his advisor this week said, well, they're waiting for $2 million. My first year of Baseball America was 1996. Chris Benson was the number one overall pick and got $2 million. So they haven't kept bonuses down. You know, although I will, I will point out one counter-argument to that, which is is that if you went back to 1996 and you said at the big league level, you know, what is a massive deal, it would be, I mean, you know, it wasn't, you know, Nolan Ryan was a million back in the 80, and then it went yeah, up to like... 90, it was $3 million in 1990, Kirby right. Puckett and Ricky Henry. Right, so guys. what you're saying, though, is, is that, like, if you go to 95, it was probably like 4 or 5 mil, and now we're talking, you know, that's tripled also. Like, 15 mil now is... You know, it has gone up. You know, but right. But I'm saying, but that's if you were going to compare, you know. I see what you're saying to an extent. But I mean, also revenues have tripled. In that no, I'm saying too. what I'm saying though is, is that hearing a guy has pretty, pretty, pretty fast. I think they've grown fast. I, what I'm saying though is is that 
if you think about it from the standpoint of what uh, big league salaries, if you look on the same, you know, apples to apples, what is a uh, what is a an average big league salary now compared to what it was then is tripled, and what is an average bonus now is probably also tripled. I, well, I think the bonus, real bonus inflation, uh, was really from 1990 to 96 in that span, and then like really in the 90s is where it really exploded. Right, and since then they it's have been, kept things down a little bit in the 2000s, but they're still they wanted to. There's only was one year, and it was in this decade. I forget what year it was. It might have been 2001, 2002, where bonuses actually went down in the first round. Right. But now what you've had with the signed deadline, I think, again, they thought that they were going to be able to drive bonuses down, not just slow the growth, but drive bonuses down with the changes they made for the 07 draft, and that hasn't been the case. Right. They, they, they may have – I haven't looked at the numbers to see if uh, – you know, that's what we'll do for Friday's podcast. But uh, I definitely don't think they've accomplished what they wanted to accomplish because they want to drive bonuses down. And all and they've done is yeah. slow the growth. And th- th- they've, in the process, they've also, you know, everybody signs la- later now. Oh, the, yeah, no. you, if you're going to sign for slot, you sign for slot the first week, you go out and you play. If you want more than slot, you don't sign until August 16th. And that's, you know, I don't know how big of a deal that is, but that's, that is what we have now, right. for sure. Uh, but we also have a, uh, obviously we have our best tools issue to describe, to talk about. We have the trade deadline that has come and gone. We missed uh, commenting on that last week, unfortunately. Uh, that's come and gone. We had Mike Miner, among many prospects, recently caught up in the major leagues. So we can talk about all that. We're going to start off, I think, J.J., with a question that we got over email. Why don't you read that? And if you have questions for us, especially for Friday's podcast about the draft, you can send them to podcast.baseballamerica.com or post them on our Facebook page. I will say that we're not going to read questions of did blank sign or has blank signed. We're going to go a little yeah. bit more bigger picture. And not, instead of player by player, and then we can talk about organizations, maybe, that have a lot targets, of guys, yeah. those kind of things. But, right. Uh, but Although yeah. I, I'm going to guess that at some point the words Bryce Harper will be used during that uh, I think we think he will sign. Yes. I think that the, the, the hullabaloo of him and Manny Machado on Facebook, I don't think we're yeah. buying that one. Um, okay, so this is from Portland Baseball Softball. How about this? Of the contending teams that haven't been in the playoffs recently, Texas, Cincinnati, San Francisco, and let's say San Diego and Atlanta as well, which of those has the best chance to win the World Series? And the chance of winning the World Series for all those teams, I think, is pretty small. Right. I, I, I mean, to be honest with you, yeah, I do not. I would not say that any of those right now, if you went into Vegas, you would. You know, I think you could get, get some good odds on any of those. I still think that either New York or Tampa, because they're starting pitching and their balance are the favorites. And I would give obviously the, I would give the edge to the defending World Series champions in New York. I like the moves they made at the deadline, deepening their bench a little bit, improving their bullpen a little bit. You know, Kerry Wood shaved his beard because he joined the Yankees. He looks like Kerry Wood, 1998. <laughs> he looks like a kid again. It's so he looks about so the hammer. Young. He doesn't have the hammer that he did, but I he, saw the, I saw he threw one of those uh, against the Red Sox in the 2-1 game on Monday afternoon, and it, his breaking ball broke like a foot down and a foot and a half in, and it plunked the Jacoby Ellsbury on the ankle, and it's like hadn't changed as far as that goes in 12 years. Still has no control of that pitch, but I think it's I think the easy answer there, JJ, would be Texas. Because the Rangers lead their division, they're the biggest division lead in baseball, I believe. Uh, yeah, they're, they're going to the playoffs, I think we can say I think we think they're confident. going to the playoffs. Although Trevor Cahill is trying very hard, and Kurt Suzuki trying very hard to get Oakland there. And I, Oakland's fun to watch from that standpoint. It's just, yeah, It would be interesting to see how that race would have been different if Brett Anderson could have stayed healthy all year. Right. Um, and it's, it's awesome to watch Trevor, Hayhill, Tre- Trevor Cahill's maturation this year. But I think Texas is the safest bet to get in the playoffs. I would give them the best chance. Plus, they have Cliff Lee. But, not to sound too much like Peter Gammons, 
their playoff rotation after Cliff Lee drops off pretty looks quick. shaky. Yeah. Drops off pretty quick. And that, the question is, is you know, I, I don't think it's more, more of a team that you would almost say like, okay, are they get to the playoffs this year and hope to build on that next year? Which, I mean, that may be, you know, now a lot of that depends on, <laughs> you said, right. they have Cliff Lee right now. Yeah. You know, they've said they, you know, with all this, you know, the sale finally going through, you know, that they, it seems like that they may, you know, if they can make it work financially, they'd be interested in keeping Cliff Lee. Yeah, you know, or, uh, they, that's pretty a big matzo ball, though. No that's doubt. a big matzo ball. But if they could, the rest of that team is built to kind of like, you know, to be better going forward, I think. Yeah, I think the other question with them is Vladimir Guerrero is having a terrible second half. He was outstanding in the first half, but he's really dropped off in the second half. So I wonder, you know, what their what their offense is going to be like in the postseason. Ian Kinsler's been banged up obviously all year. Um, you know, you really trust their the rest of the. Uh, basically, right now their offense is pretty much being carried by Michael Young. Uh, obviously, Josh Hamilton. Yeah, I was going to say Josh Hamilton. Been, yeah, and then Cruz. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you've got those two guys in the middle of the lineup, but with, without Vladimir there to protect Josh Hamilton, you're not going to let Josh Hamilton beat you. Is Nelson Cruz good enough to really be the guy who can carry an offense in the postseason? And there's just not a ton of other help in that lineup. Not right now. Not the way it's going right now. So right. I, think, I think Texas has some questions. I actually like it. Atlanta and the Giants just played over the weekend. The Giants have their annual, you know, Brian Sabian era uh, post-barrier bonds. Are they going to score any runs? So they lucked into the, you know, We've been asking that question for many years. That's right. So I, but I like the Giants, and I Hello, actually like the pickups they made this year. They, they Aubrey Huff's year offense. is a uh, Aubrey Huff's had a great year for them. Shocking year, just tremendous. He's actually uh, it was not a dead cat bounce last year. No, it, it's, it, it was Baltimore. I'm still alive. I'm He's still there. Yeah, I'm not dead yet. Um, and then you know Pat Burrell having a dead cat bounce with back in his hometown. He went to Bellarmine Prep in the San, in San Jose. He's back in the Bay Area, and Pat Burrell's been. Uh, He's been in San Francisco, what the Rays hoped he would be in Tampa. Um, obviously, Buster Posey is Buster Posey. I mean, that guy's a stud. And no, I it's, ha- it's a much better. I mean, the thing about it is that their lineup, it's a lot of, with the exception of Buster Posey, a lot of guys you wouldn't be expecting to be depending on. But, right. But it's been better than anyone could have possibly. Andres Torres has been a revelation. Part of uh, the worst draft in Royals history, that Derek Ladnier draft. Wasn't Torres what part of that draft with the Royals? He was. Pretty I cannot sure that, remember that. Oh, was he was the guy who was in that draft who was like, uh, uh, maybe he, he was at the best big leaguer of that draft before this year, which is why it was a bad draft. But uh, out of those teams, I still think it's the Braves. I think the Braves have the best chance. Uh, they've got to hang on in that division, and they certainly have some offense questions going on right now. Right, and that's, I that's, like their pitching for the playoffs. You, you like their pitching for the playoffs, but that is the real question is, is are they going to have enough? I even like their pitching better than San Francisco because I like their bullpen better than the Giants. I mean, the Giants' rotation at the top is just as formidable as Atlanta's, although right now Tim Hudson, I'd take Tim Hudson against any pitcher in baseball. Uh, it'd be a push. Does anybody versus Tim Hudson right now, you have to say it's a push. Tim Hudson's just been dealing been so really well. Good. And then you have, obviously, Hanson, Jire Jurgens. The injury to Chris Medlin is, hurts them a little bit for the regular season. I don't think they were expecting right, they weren't gonna him to count. playoff starter. He was going to be throwing innings in the bullpen. He would have been a very helpful bullpen arm because Peter Moylan's arm is hanging on by a thread. Bobby Cox and... Is pulling his uh, Bobby Cox and Joe Torre both do this. They find their three or four relievers hey, and we're gonna use pound them into the crowd. <laughs> and Johnny Venters, get ready <laughs> with, with Chris Medlin not there to help you. Johnny Venters, who's been awesome this year, um, that's why I actually like Kyle Farnsworth for them. They need another right-handed reliever. 
But the, here's um, the question: Is, is Kyle Farnsworth, Farnsworth? It may be like, oh, we're not going to Farnsworth, you know, unless it's eight to two before long. That 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 might be where they're headed. But, but I, I like Atlanta. Out of I'll, I'll throw out the same thing, like you said. That I think Cincinnati is in really good shape to make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I think, think so. I they're mean, in a good. Uh, what are they right now in the wild card standing? If they're in the wild card, no, they're they well, they're, the, they lead the division, so they're yeah. you know right. But they're, if they, if yeah, they, they would be yeah, they would they would be they would be tied with the Giants for the top of the wild card if they were not you know and the Phillies so. You know, or actually, they'd be ahead of Phillies. Yeah, they're all yeah. tied to loss column, yeah. though. Right all tied to loss it's column. very bunched up. The National League would be a lot of fun to watch. Oh, yeah. But, but the thing with the Reds is I do think they're very well constructed. they got an easy schedule down the stretch. And the strength of them is just that <laughs> it's just like five-headed rotation monster where right. you can cut off any one head, and it doesn't really matter, with the exception maybe of Johnny Cueto. Like, they one through five, they don't have anyone who – Consistently is going out and getting bombed. Yeah, now Mike really, Leak right. recently is the closest thing you could say to that. But you know, like Travis Wood, they sent Travis Wood down this week because they were going to skip his start next week, and so hey, you know, they needed a roster spot, and he'll be back in you know the same time he would have been otherwise pitching. Well, Travis Wood's been better than Mike Leak lately, yeah, but they've got Homer Bailey has been pitching well in rehab, so. There's even talk that Homer Bailey may be coming in and leak. You know, maybe they start to ease Leak off a little bit now. Maybe he's hitting a wall. They have enough starting pitching that they should, you know, it's really easy for them to avoid a three, four, five game losing streak because they're going to get quality starts. Right, and I like the pickup of Jim Evans for them as a good waiver post waiver right. uh, deadline. Kind deal. of the Yankees, sim- similar type things. What the Yankees did is like not like that move that oh this guy is going to change everything. Right, but that move of hey we've got a guy now who you know useful off the bench, play a couple positions, all that. I think there's a phrase that people like to use now, uh, just to, I think the upset stat heads is he's a winning ball player. But Jim Jim Edmonds definitely makes me think of he's been on good teams right. in general. And he and he's contributed to those good teams. He's had a great career. But the concern I would have is with the Reds is I do think they're a team that's more constructed right now to beat up bad teams, which they've done a really good job of than to match up in the the, the thing about the NL though is is like so who is there? I mean, there is no one in the NL that you point to and say Man, they're the juggernaut. You just have to watch out for them. Yeah, there's no juggernaut, that's for sure. I, I, I think it, seems, it feels like most people still think the Phillies are the favorite. If they get there, because right. you go, okay, well, Halliday, Halliday and, Oswald, yeah. and, and Cole Hamels is pitching better. Yeah. Of late, you, you, you look at them and say, if they get in, which we still have to see if they get in, but if right. they get in, they have the pitching staff that you worry about more than anyone else, even more than the Braves. Yeah, and then uh, the other uh, quote-unquote new teams, uh, San Diego, we haven't even mentioned the Padres. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know if Bud Black already has Manager of the Year wrapped up. Uh, he should. He should. Um, how about the Padres? I mean, I think we all thought by this time, JJ, that they would be uh, jettisoned. They would have jettisoned. We'd be talking about the yeah. haul they got back for Adrian Gonzalez. And instead, they're like, "Oh well, we actually going to build around." Do you think they can hold off the Giants? I think the Giants are going to overtake them and win that division. Personally, I don't even think the Padres will make the postseason. Even though I, I think it was a nice move for them, they picked up Ryan Ludwig for a song. Um, I don't know necessarily that Miguel Tejada helps a lot, but I know Chase Headley has not hit lefties very well right, this I mean, year. So uh, Tejada's an upgrade there. Um, I, to me, it seems like it's all tied into the rest of their rotation. You know, Matt Latos, can Matt Latos stick around? And he was good in his last start, but obviously he's never pitched this deep into the right, year. This is he's the really their only difference maker in their starting rotation. The rest of, the rest of their rotation only has to be average with as good as their bullpen's been. And their bullpen's been tremendous. It's a sub-3 ERA. For the bullpen, do you think they have enough staying power? Do they hold the, off the Giants? The thing I just wonder is, I just don't think they have enough offense. Yeah, I, I just, I, I know, you know, they don't need as much offense in that park, and what the offense they has looks right. worse because of that park. But, but I just don't know if they have enough offense, you know, to to really 
to stick in this. I mean, it, 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 and you were, you were talking, you know, with other players, like at this point, why would you let Adrian Gonzalez beat you? Yeah, that guy didn't end up, uh, he, it's surprising he doesn't have Barry Bonds walk numbers. It's really kind of surprising. I mean, he's so much better than everyone else in their lineup, but that's why Ludwig, I think was a pretty huge move for them. So, I mean, he's not like he's hitting for them yet, but he was a better, he's better protection in that lineup. He's a legitimate threat other than Adrian Gonzalez. So if you do treat Adrian Gonzalez like Barry Bond and walk him all the time, I think Ryan Ludwig can make you pay. But personally, I like the Giants' chances better. Um, their bullpen's if better. It's, it's improved over what it's been. Their, their lineup is improved over what it's been. But they do have to find a way to get someone to, to make sure that someone gets on base consistently in front of Posey and, and Huff. If I was going to pick one team of these, though, I would say Texas simply for this. They're, in their division, if they can just, you know, they could, I think they have at least a little clear path because for one thing, I feel confident they're going to make the playoffs. If I had to put money down on one, yes. I'd put money on them because of that. But with that being said, yeah, I think we, I think we both agree. We both say Yankees or Rays is much more likely than any of these teams. I think so too. We'll see. Uh, as we record this, the Yankees and Rangers are getting ready to play a series, and we have another great series going on in the National League with the Reds and the Cardinals, and a great series going on in the American League Central with the Twins and the White Sox, who are tied in first place. And, you know, I, I thought it is. There's a lot of a lot of great races as we get you know down to the. Uh, we're in not, August now. It, not a it bad matters. Thing. It's only boring if it, you're if you're Bill Simmons and you're a Red Sox fan, and apparently the Red Sox are boring for their fans this year, which I don't quite understand that either. But so I'll, I'll tee you up. Of. I'll tee you up for the next next topic, which I'm going to let you kind of go sure. on. This is much more uh, John expertise than mine. But uh, so yesterday, uh, late yesterday, Southern California fires Chad Cruder. Yes. I feel safe to say not a shocking move that Cruder has been let go. Is that Sure. Oh, absolutely not a shock at all because the only t- only the timing was and I, mean, I was going to say that was the thing I was going to ask you is the shocking part to me with you know asking this kind of as the the yeah. the, the fan almost cuz like I follow it as from the standpoint of as as I follow it closely but I'm not involved in reporting it and right. all. How often does a coach get fired? In August, very infrequently, I would say rarely. But obviously, this had this had a first USC had to deal with the NCAA football investigation, and I'm not sure if any of the basketball stuff, the OJ Mayo stuff, or any of that. But you know, with the Reggie Bush and all the NCAA football stuff that came down, that was the death knell for Mike Garrett. And so, first USC had to decide and had to figure out whether it was going to keep Mike Garrett or not. And all through the spring, there was speculation about Chad Kruder's job security. It was his fourth year at USC. He didn't have a winning record even last year when they had Brad Boxberger, Robert Stock, Grant Green. They still didn't have a winning record even then. So they lost all three of those guys and were worse in 2010. So all year there was speculation whether or not he'd keep his job. And the only thing that people thought would keep his job would be if the football investigation dragged on and Mike Garrett stayed on. Cause he was Mike so where basically guy. there would just be – but beyond that, there will be so little attention, right. ability to focus attention on the baseball program that it also would be on cruise control correct. for a year. That's correct. And USC, understandably, has to had to pay a lot of attention to their football program. And you know, they're, I mean, they're facing yeah, they're facing they're, big time NCAA sanctions, and they had to take care of those. But once that happened, and once Mike Garrett lost his job and Pat Hayden took over as AD, we did start to hear the rumblings. I think people expected that something would happen. The whole question was. What would happen? Would he basically just give Chad Cruder one more year and start building a list of okay, we're going to keep, you know, start building a candidate list to replace him, 
because uh, the timing was so bad. Right, because uh, I mean, really, what you your choice at this point it seems like more than anything, even with a a program like USC, which I mean, twelve you know, national championships. I mean, yeah, it twice it is. It's hard, you know. It may not seem like it if you've just started following college baseball in the last you know five ten years. Yeah, they but haven't been relevant in the two thousands. They've been they went to Omaha in two thousand and two thousand one. Yeah, basically Mark Pryor left, and that was a. They've a, only been to regionals twice since right. then, I believe. But that if you but in the history of college baseball, I mean they are the program. That's right. I mean, and there's not even like they are the UCLA of basketball. They are that of baseball. Absolutely, and five championships in a row in the early seventies and. Had tons of big leaguers. And the thing is, even their big leaguers are aging out. They're big league alumni. No more Mark McGuire. No more Randy Johnson. You know, Barry Zito's up there, although thanks to his long toss regimen, he's back uh, pitching, being effective again. But they have no, uh, they really don't have a lot. I mean, Mark Pryor's career, he's, he's an indie ball now, is he not? He's a, he's a setup man in the, in the Golden is, League. I hope uh, good things for Mark. But there's not a lot of big league alumni anymore that USC can can, uh, and they haven't made regionals in seven well, of the last eight years. So, so really, the the choice they were facing was, I mean, because at this point, it would be hard to imagine what Chad Cruder could do that would, you know, that would have turned around if he'd give, been given another year. Yeah. If the likelihood would have been in over his head. If the likelihood would have been okay, so you're gonna be fired after the 2011 season. Right, and then what they, so what Pat Hayden actually did, I think, uh, was a good middle road. I think it, I think it had to be done. I think Chad Cruder had to be fired. He probably should have been fired a year ago after last year. He really should have been fired after. Right, because there wasn't really a whole lot of hope for this year when you no. say, hey, you're the most talented team that USC's had Correct. since you the took good, over. yeah, since well, and since the good, you know, really going back to the early 2000s, is it not? Probably, yeah. I mean, like, in 05, I guess it was 05. One of those years that Jeff Clement was there, they made regionals. They won a regional. They lost in the Super Regional at Oregon State. That was a good team. Right. But, you know, they had uh, – they really haven't been relevant in a lot, in a lot of ways. Um, it was a horrible decision to fire Mike Gillespie at the time, push him out in 2005, I guess it was. And then, you know, for every Grant Green and uh, they got, Grant Green was a highly sought-after recruit. Uh, there were five guys that USC signed who didn't make it to campus. I talked to Grant Green of the Futures game, and he talked about, yeah, you know, I would have ruined with Hank Conger. I would have also I, – I was the host for Mike Moustakas when he visited campus. You know, those guys would have been great Trojans. Uh, Mike Moustakas, you know, his regret about signing pro ball is that he doesn't get to pitch anymore. I don't think he regrets it when he looks at his bank account. But you know, now he's in AAA, and he's had a great year this year, and he's in the running for a minor league player of the, minor league player of the year. And this would have been his uh, junior year in college. He would have been drafted this year, 2010. I think he was better off for signing uh, at a pro ball with the number two overall pick. But Mike Moustakas would have been a dominant college player. Same thing with Aaron Hicks, another right. USC signee. But Chad Kruder aimed way too high. I was going to say, the problem with those guys is, is, yes, they would have been dominant players. But at Tim the Beckham. same time, that's the same thing as, you know, going back. I mean, these guys always, yeah, you, you, could, you could play what is with those, but – Mike Moustakis, everyone knew yes. going into his senior year, this wasn't a guy who popped up. Like, I mean, you know, there are guys who come well, into their senior year as top five to ten round picks right. who become first rounders. That he, guy, you you can take the gamble with. Correct. The guy who's going to be a top guy. five pick. Yeah. You're, now Moustakis didn't enter the year as a top five pick. He entered the year behind even Matt Dominguez, and he was thought of as more like a second to fifth type guy. And then he really had that right. amazing senior year where he's at the California single-season home run record. Still, he was more likely a a, a pro guy as far as he was going to get drafted in those first three rounds probably. Yeah, I think you're and right. First three rounds. Tim Beckham, same thing. Tim Beckham out of Georgia they signed. Uh, he ends up going number one overall. Uh, he might have been better off going to college, but not financially probably. 
Um, well, not financially, definitely. Right. But but, but the, the very few guys. Grant Green said that you know the, my pitch would be more guys that do what I did. But Grant Green just told me I turned down a half million dollars at a high school. I wound up with millions out of college. Right. I had a great time being in college, but not enough people made that same choice. And it, most people aren't going to make that choice. I, I think that Chad Cruder and a lot of pro guys make this mistake. JJ, a lot of guys who don't have experience in college baseball. Uh, they evaluate players as if they're professional baseball, and a lot of the college coaches do aim too high. You know, when he first got to San Diego State, same problem for Tony Gwynn when he was first head coach there. They constantly had players. None of the names are coming to my head, but I know Sean O'Sullivan is one example of a guy that that was a make-or-break recruit for Tony Gwynn because he was a two-way guy. And when he signed as a draft and followed, that just killed San Diego State's recruiting class. So, you know, they obviously, they got Steven Strasburg, who... But they got you know, Steve Frostberg is the example deal. of what, yeah, that was, he, that wasn't, he, he wasn't, a, high school. he didn't he, get drafted. He was, uh, people knew who he was, but Trevor Cahill was the guy. The aforementioned Trevor Cahill was the guy in San Diego that year, not Steven Strasburg in, in the San Diego high schools. And Kevin that's what, Brooks was to, the other guy that year. To, to succeed as a college coach, is it fair to say, you, yes. You really you, shouldn't be a pro guy, well, basically. But, but really, you can't. You don't build your team. You can occasionally get like TCU. Okay, they yeah. land Matt Perk, right? And it yes, he's a program changer. But they built their program on the Brian Holidays, of right? The world, you you build, but Perks. you build your program on the very good college guys Correct. who, when they show up on campus, are not top ten round picks. That's very true. I, and I, I think you can't you, you can't survive on the, you cannot survive on you those guys. You cannot survive on the on trying to recruit guys like Aaron Hicks and Mike Mustakas. He just won't get them to campus. And you, Chad Kruger proved that. And the track record of pro guys, you know, ex-big leaguers in college baseball is really pretty poor. Tony Gwynn's track record at San Diego State is decent. And I only say it's decent because they actually did go to regionals. They had Strasburg. They developed Strasburg. Right. But the thing is, they hadn't been to regionals since 1992. It's not like he took over some juggernaut program. Right. He took no. over a, a and, program and you that get wasn't good. And Strasburg by itself because of what it meant for the program. Sure. Developing Strasburg means that a whole lot of people know about that baseball program who did not. Absolutely. Ever know that existed before? Absolutely, but Tony has had to learn that right. in a difficult way. That it's easier for it's easier to build a program. And the thing is, San Diego State is not in the Pac-10. And if you are a, a, San, a, a player who could be a good college player in San Diego State, you'll probably be a good college player in the Pac-10, and you'd probably rather go to a Pac-10 school. Um, so there's that. They always have that issue. Or you just go to Fullerton or, or UC Irvine right. and play in the Big West, another better conference in a lot of ways in the Mountain West. Although the Mountain West, I think, gets a uh, it uh, doesn't get enough respect. But uh, you have other big leaguers, Vance Law at BYU. don't think he's ever been to regionals. Uh, Ed Sprague is actually doing one of the better jobs of an ex-big leaguer at Pacific, and he's really improved the program at Pacific. But in general, those ex-big leaguers don't make great college coaches. And Chad Cruder, his 16 years in the big leagues, as you like to say, really uh, actually was disastrous for USC. So they've hired Frank Cruz, uh, the former Loyola Marymount coach, he was a volunteer assistant in the last two years at USC. He's a former Mike Gillespie assistant. I think he's got a shot to be the coach at USC. Right. You, you basically you get out. a year you get a year trial now, yeah. and you better. He wasn't good though at Loyola Marymount. Right. He was really not good. So, so basically, what he has to prove, which it happens, but he has to prove, hey, I've learned from, you know. Yeah, that's not his personality. But I'm, I'm, I'm frankly not a Frank Cruz guy. Uh, he coached the USA College National Team. Uh, and that was a great, talented team, 2005 uh, draft, 2004 summer. Um, you know, he, he didn't do a great job at Little Marymount. They had some great teams in 98, 99, 2000. Uh, none of those guys wound up really being big leaguers. Mike Schultz, who had a long career in Japan. Uh, Scott Walter, who was a Royals farmhand. Uh, those are the kind of guys that they had. 
But since 2001, I don't think they made regionals, and he was fired. He didn't lose his job because he wanted to. So I don't think he's I, – I think your best case scenario is that USC – is that USC will shell out a bunch of money for an established coach with Southern California ties, such as George Horton, Dave Serrano, someone like that. Right. So, uh, but well, I think it's a big deal. USC's program was once the king of college baseball, and it really hasn't been relevant for a long time. I think it's important for college baseball to get a good brand name like USC back to prominence. So, honestly, glad to see Chad Kruger go. And I also wonder what this means for Tom House, his pitching coach. That's one question that I haven't seen, and I haven't seen the press release myself, whether or not Tom House lost his job or not. I'm going to guess on an interim basis he's still going to be there with Frank Cruz, but uh, I don't think that's long for this world either. I don't, it's not like USC's leading the Pac-10 and pitching every year with Tom House as their pitching coach. So, uh, JJ, moving on. Uh, yeah, our last, yeah, our, our, our last topic, uh, we, we did mention that we talked about best tools. Which I like our best tools cover. It's a little bit different, uh, Roy Halladay in a Phillies uniform. But also just a little a little side view. I kind of like it. It's a different cover, different color for us. Different well, cover for us. What we want to talk about, we're not going to really get into specifics. I did the Florida State League. John did the Eastern League. But if we did that, we would talk about two leagues out of you know right. a multitude of leagues. You know, but we work, You know, we do sometimes on the podcast. Kind of want to explain a little bit how the sausage is made. That's right. And hopefully, with that, you can help a little bit of understanding of when you are looking at it, what's going on, and. The thing that struck me to, to kind of explain with Best Tools, so what we do with Best Tools is we send ballots out to every manager in a league. So and as many ways as you can send the ballot right. out. Right. We'll email fax, it, we'll fax, we'll send smoke just, signals, we'll do whatever, call, you know. Send it to the media guy, whatever. Right. You know, you, you, have, yeah, you are the there. Eastern League. You have media guys. That's, That's the right. Florida State League. You know, they're all bus trips, and they're uh, right. and there are often no media guys. But um, you, Half the time you call the Florida State League team and a major league assistant general manager on right. the phone. Yeah, or you get, you know. Well, the Yankees, you know, Tampa, you know, yeah, come on, speak to the, the Tampa manager. Oh, hold on. You know, like, oh, that's so right. you want to deal with the, yeah, the minor league that's, team. Uh, that's right. That's, you know, that's but, rare. You know, but, but so that being said, you know, so you send the ballots out and you, you know, then yes, you try to get them back in whatever way you can. And then you also contact uh, some scouts who've covered that, you know, that league to kind of get, you know, usually how I do it, I don't know about you, but I, I get, the manager's info, and then I go by, or essentially I cross-check it by a scout. That's what I do. And That's exactly what I do. But the thing we, I wanted to explain with this is, is that, and feel free to chime in on this, is that as we go through it, with best tools is the start. Best tools, you know, when we get into prospect season, best tools is the start of prospect season. Because the hope is is that you, you're gonna, you, know, you collect this information and you're going to learn some things that you didn't know. Hey, that guy has a, you know, the best breaking ball in that league. Oh, I thought he was good, but I didn't know it was that good. Right. That kind of thing. Then we go from that into league top 20s, and then we go from that into top 10s, which becomes the top 30 that's in the right. prospect handbook. But the thing I was, you know, one of the things with that is, is that this is, this is the links, the rankings that we massage the least, I think would be the way to put it. That's a great way to put it. This is the one that's the most straight vote, you know, really. Um, the way I end up doing it is I actually, uh, and I, didn't, I couldn't do it this year in the Eastern League because there's been such turnover in the Eastern League. I've done the Eastern League for three or four years. And so last year, especially when I did Best Tools, um, not to get too Orwellian about it, but some votes counted more than others. You know, you know some managers' opinions mattered more to me than other guys. Well, and the other way to put it, cause when I'm doing Florida State League, like if one guy is clearly winning the vote, that guy's going to win it. Right. Even if, generally, even if, I don't think that that guy necessarily. But if it's a runaway. But if it's a runaway, you know. The, but vote, if it's, the voters have spoken. But but what happens is if you're if it's close, if you've got you know, like 
for example, for a state league this year, you go best. There are also there are categories where it's tough for, yeah. for managers, understandably. Best defensive first baseman in the Florida State League this Correct. year. Correct. There was not. Yeah. Like, the thing I want to explain with this more than anything is, is because you see a name doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, like, especially there are certain categories. Not that they don't mean anything, but if you see best defensive first baseman. Yeah, that's not as important. That's not as important because, and this is, I'm not faulting managers. If there's not a standout first baseman defensively in a league, right. the name that's going to pop to their head is if there's a good hitter in the league that's right. who's not brutal. It's going to be the first first baseman they can think of, the best first baseman they can think of, right. who, the best player who plays first base. Now, I'll say this. Best defensive shortstop on there, you're never going to see a guy show up at best defensive shortstop who, right. who's, who's a butcher. That's right. That's never going to happen. But the first base, obviously, defense is lower down the, pro- the profile. Like in the Eastern League, I wanted to make sure he won the vote. But Anthony Rizzo, Portland. Uh, I, I spoke to three managers before I went on vacation. The, the, they all said, well, Rizzo has the best defensive first base ability. But one of them even said, well, it's going to be funny to vote for a guy who's got 11 errors. And then you look at the stats, and, yeah, Anthony Rizzo had 11 errors the time I made that phone call. And he had a, I think he might have had a multiple error game at first base. And they've been all kinds of errors. Uh, it's been it – but, but tools-wise – he has the best defensive first base tools, and mostly you want to keep those. Like in that league, there was no good defensive third baseman who's a prospect. Ray Chang is an older guy, more of a veteran, not necessarily a prospect, but there wasn't a prospect well, who was thought of better. Brandon Laird got some votes, but he didn't get as many votes as Ray Chang. And, and the thing about this, and that the scout explains, I talked to and the thing is, Brandon Laird, yeah, Brandon Laird's a 45 45-ish third baseman, yeah. Yeah. Florida State League, Michael McDade was in the running for best defensive first baseman. He probably would a 35-ish. Yeah, I was going to say, he's a 30-35. Yeah. But he also is one of the few guys at first base in that league who actually is a prospect. That's right. And so, you know, I don't fault managers voting that way. But that was – but so that's one of the things we want to explain this is, like, when you see best pitching prospect, best pitching prospect, that guy's – there are very rarely going to be a league where there wasn't a pitching prospect in the league. That's right. Best that's fastball, I- that guy's going to throw hard. But there are certain things, you know, when you see, like, best defensive first baseman, don't think of that as, you know, well, that guy's a gold glover. Right, right, Because it doesn't necessarily mean that. Um, But it is. It's a very useful step. You know, like, it, as for prospect following also, you're going to see some names in there that, you know, that jump out. It's like, wait, you know, well, who, you know, I didn't know that guy had a good, you know, that guy change up. So I also think, uh, and on your league in the Florida State League, and the most interesting thing is that Anthony Ghost won three tools. Fastest base runner, best defensive outfielder, most exciting player. Didn't even win probably his best tool, which is outfield arm. He's got a 70 arm. Right. The funny thing is, is Melky Mesa, Mc, Mc, you know, like pretty much like to, to go a little bit, in, to go, but to go into the balancing a little bit on that, you know, like half the, half the league voted for Melky Mesa, best defensive outfielder, best outfield arm. Yeah. Half the league voted for Anthony Ghost. Best outfield or nice. best defensive outfielder, and it really was. It was like, okay, you could have put either one of those on either category, and you would have pretty much reflected half the league. I mean, there was right. almost like no other ballots for those. Right. And then it really came down to like talking to scouts. It's like you know, Mesa's arms a tick better. You know, best defensive outfielder was exactly the same in the Eastern League between Gorkis Hernandez and Cheshwan Lin, uh, with Joe Benson getting some some uh, votes in there as well for best arm. That threw things off a little bit. So Chase Schwan got best defensive outfielder, and uh, Gorkis Hernandez got best outfield arm. I, I think you could have flipped that. I think, you know, honestly, if, I, if I'm evaluating it, not like I'm a scout, but just the scouting reports that I've had in the past, I would probably have flipped those. 
but you go. But again, this is the one that we now when we now when we get to the league top twenty, you're gathering the information, and if everyone in the league likes a guy, that guy's going to make the rankings, whether you know we the writer believe him or not. Right. But that being said, the order of that, you know, will may not necessarily reflect the consensus of the league's managers, you know, it's going to weigh a little bit more to the, you know, probably a little bit more to what the scouts are saying. Right. But like, I like some of the leagues where you see, I, I, I do like when you see a guy dominate a league's best tools. When you see a guy show up time and time again, Texas league, Mike Moustaka's best batting prospect, Mike Moustaka's best power prospect, Mike Moustaka's best defensive third baseman, Mike Moustaka's most exciting player. That's a good sign. That's Southern a great league. sign for a player. Best, you know, Mike Stanton is the same way the Southern League. Like, yeah, you see that, and it's like, okay. And Michael Pineda, actually, as well. Yeah. So. When you see that, it's like, this is the guy who's the story of that league. Yeah, but Mike Stanton um, is fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. You mentioned Mike Stanton. I just thought to myself, every time I hear Mike Stanton, I think that's another USC baseball recruit. But they didn't get a guy that they tried to get to onto campus uh, by also having him where he could have walked on to play football, too. I don't even know if you can do that. Can you even do that? Can you walk on to play football if you play baseball? You, no, I don't think it works that way because the that. thing about they would it have is to give him a football scholarship. They'd have to give him a football scholarship because you count because otherwise there are many, many, many football programs out there that would figure out a way to have 11.7 more football players. That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, you know, well, he, he pitches every fifth, you know, Sunday of the year. You know, he got three starts over, you know, during during the baseball season. But by the way, he's also our uh, second team inside linebacker. But no, that's right. But like like you said, um, this is really the uh, this is the start of prospect season. We've already been doing a lot of these things. But if if you have, uh, this is where you start your calls. This is where you start building your relationships with your league managers. Like I mentioned, this Eastern League had a ton of turnover this year. But my old faithful uh, guys were my guys again, and as far as turning in their ballots, and they all know uh, Brad Comments knows I'm calling. I've got Brad Comments' cell number. You know, this year the Futures game, when I saw Steve Decker, I actually went up to Steve Decker and just said, I just want to tell you how upset I am that you are no longer in the Eastern League. I don't know Andy Skeels, his replacement in the Giants organization at AA. But Decker got promoted to AAA, but uh, Steve Decker kind of laughed about it, but I really will miss having Steve Decker in the Eastern League. I really valued his opinion. When Steve Decker talked about other catchers in the Eastern League the last few years, I listened. Uh, you know, Brad Comments, when he talked about how guys handled hype, guys with a lot of hype who came through that league, I listened because he was there. Uh, so there are several veteran uh, managers in that league. Uh, and then there's, uh, you know, Gary Cathcart was another guy I always uh, really loved listening to Gary Cathcart. Uh, I felt like he knew that league inside and out and no longer in the Blue Jays organization. I forget where he's managing now. Uh, but you love having the, those guys over and over again. There were like nine or ten managers who were in that league year in and year out. And that's one of the advantages, I think, for you, J.J., doing the Florida State League. There are repeat managers in that league that you've been able to build up good relationships. Right, and, that, and that's, you know, that that is definitely a part of this is, like, you do learn, okay, this guy clearly is watching it with that eye. Because some managers, you know, it's not like, that's not what their that's not their strength. That's not their skill set. I think for when we do the league top twenty, you if you don't talk to all twelve managers in your league or fourteen managers, you feel like you're missing something. You know, at least a coach. Right. On you want to talk to at least you want to talk to at least you really want to talk to at least someone with each club because you want to. I mean, you want right. to make sure that you want you've covered everyone on their team. Right. Like last year, I talked to scouts and opposing managers, obviously who'd seen Erie, but I didn't the Tigers AA affiliate, but I didn't talk to Tom Brookins, who was the Erie manager. I felt like I was less informed about Erie. And as a result, 
we were low on Brennan Bosch. I feel like that started with our league lists. I really do. I feel like that's, and that's one great way that, like, maybe 15 years ago, when you did a top 10, you did a top 10. You did it in a vacuum. You didn't really talk to somebody else. And usually, you just talk to people in the organization. I think sometimes 15, 20 years ago, we got used by oh, organizations yeah. to pump well, up and that's their one, guys. And that's one thing but now explain. we have a great hedge against this is this league top 20s. You have outside the organization sources. Sometimes and you have 11 or 12 of them because right. of league, these, these league top right. 20s. And that's so. the thing that always is, is fascinating is that when you do the league top 20s, you always are going to have a guy or two who, when you start making the calls, is not – I'm not saying you don't know who he is, but he's not on your radar from the standpoint right. of you don't you've never thought of this guy be a top ten. Oh, the no guy doubt. that the guy that I go back to is is that you know I, I, several years ago now I remember you know and I'll I'll first say that this was not the only Dodger that I went crazy on the Florida State League and not you know there's another one who didn't go nearly as well as number one there but but Matt Kemp everyone yeah. you talked to in that league loved Matt Kemp and not that he was not a prospect before that but I remember like the first time I sent it out it's like you know getting the comeback, man, that's high on Matt Kemp. And it's like, well, you know, they love him that league. Jason yeah. Bartlett in the Eastern League the first year did it. Hmm. Like, everyone loved Jason Bartlett. And you go, I went into that. I didn't have Jason Bartlett on my list yeah. of guys to ask about necessarily. Yeah. But everyone in that league loved Jason Bartlett. And so, you know, you go, well, there's got to be something there. Right. Again, it doesn't always work that well. I just blanked on the name of the uh, six foot seven. uh uh uh, Joel Guzman? Joel Guzman, yeah. <laughs> Number one in that league, you know, in the Florida State League one year. So well, I'm not well, saying I'm like some brilliant, you know, yeah. Kreskin or anything. I'm just saying that. My favorite one was two years ago in the Eastern League when uh, Jose Tabata had his year where he was awful in the first half for Trenton and then got traded and went to the Pirates. And uh, his manager in Altoona, I think at that time was Tim Leeper, was just like, hey, look, this guy's awesome. And I used all the quotes on the record. It wasn't like he was any off the record stuff. He said, like, this guy was clearly humbled. And he came to us the last month of the year, and he was tremendous. So I basically, like, I'd already made a lot of my calls. And I'd asked people about Tabata. But then I went back, and I made a couple more calls, a couple more emails, found a scout. Everyone who'd seen him in August loved with Altuna loved him. Didn't like him. They loved him. They were like, oh, this is the guy who all the hype was about. He used all fields. He showed the ability to pull the ball. He ran well. He played a good center field. You know, and now Tabata's back in the big leagues and actually played – yeah, fairly well for the Pirates with him, Pedro Alvarez, and Neil Walker. Neil Walker actually like making the Pirates somewhat interesting to watch. Although I if, love if, if, if you have not heard the radio call from Alvarez's walk off, it's on I YouTube. Haven't. It's worth doing. Um, it's just from the standpoint of you know two two radio announcers going. Hey, if you're a Pirates announcer, <laughs> you have to yeah. you have to go insane about moments like that because you, you you're going to go insane otherwise. But 17 years without a whole lot of excitement. There are only so many ways you can get excited about. Uh, well, they got it. Let's just say, like I said, if you find it on YouTube, they got excited about the uh, walk off home run of Pedro Alvarez. They, I, I'm, they, I'm looking at it as the show is over, which is right, right about now on the Baseball America podcast. So, hope you enjoyed the show. Again, if you have emails or questions for us. For Friday's podcast, send us into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com or leave this for us on our uh, Facebook page, facebook.com backslash baseballamerica. And we're sponsored by MLB Network. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.